We got, what is happening? Oh my gosh. Ah, story of my life. Okay. Ah. Oh, okay. Awesome. All right, guys. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah, I was uh, prepping and I almost said prepping and preparing, and that is entirely redundant. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just getting ready to kick this off. And I feel very, it feels like kind of a dark day because I'm officially ending my run through Queen's A Day at the Races, one of my favorite albums from the boys. And and I want to celebrate this, though. I don't want to be all gloom about this. This is great, what I'm going to talk about today, because it's, it's not a Queen deep dive. I have finished the album in its entirety. I've talked about all the songs. I've talked about the brilliance. I've talked about the strength of these songs, the elaborate arrangements, the orchestrations that are so beautiful and lush and the dynamics of the songs we have here. We still have a wonderful mix of different genres, different attitudes, different vibes, all held together by the brilliance of these four men and their wonderfully blended voices. And of course, Mr. John Deacon jiving on his bass, Disco Deaky. It's a very special episode for Deaky, actually. And uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into this. But here's the thing, guys. This is not a Queen Deep Dive. Nope. This is a Queen Deep Diversion. A little while back, I kicked off this sort of sub-series of my Queen Deep Dive series to talk specifically about who blew me away the most on each album. Who steals my attention? Who steals my ears? as I listen to all of these songs, because there is a very cohesive feel for every album. The guys, whether it was a concept album or it was simply the style, I think every album is wrapped up in a very, very holistic way. So there's always a different feel from each of the guys because of that. There's a slightly different approach, maybe the style, is a little bit varied from what we've heard before. Or there's elements that just stick out in the best way possible and completely impress and are wildly entertaining, et cetera, et cetera. So there's always a guy on every album that I just think, wow, this they all do incredibly well, always put 150% in, but there's usually someone that my ears just go there. You know, maybe it's the bass, maybe it's a voice, maybe it's the drums, maybe it's the guitar. There's something about one of the guys that stands out to me as just better than ever or that much shinier than the rest. And I've talked about all of the previous four albums. I've talked about how I gave the debut to Roger, how I gave Queen 2 to Freddie, Sheer Heart Attack to John, and A Night at the Opera to Brian. Controversial. I know. I know it. And I specifically said that, that I knew if I gave opera to Brian, a lot of people would be upset because of Bohemian Rhapsody and the brilliance and the one-off magnificence of Bohemian Rhapsody, which of course came from none other than our very favorite frontman, Freddie Mercury. And I promised you that I would be giving Freddie lots of love. You know, find me somebody to love, find. Guess what? Guess what? 
A day at the races is Freddy's. Of course it's Freddy's. Because here is why. Freddy's favorite song is here, Somebody to Love, which he delivers in devastatingly passionate fashion. I mean, that song, just the way it's written, how inspired he was by Aretha Franklin, the gospel infusion in this rock, almost bluesy, almost kind of poppy, melodic number. It's a brilliantly written song that has honestly impressed me more than ever as I've gone through these deep dives. Go back and listen to that episode. And I will tell you that that song, I'm in love with it now more than ever. This has happened with a few songs as I've gone through these deep dives. I've loved many of them for a long time. And now I love some of them, like somebody to love, that much more. Honestly, it might be my favorite song on the album now. And I know that might sound weird because I think a lot of people's favorite song on this album is Somebody to Love for a very good reason, but I get it. You know, I get it. I understand it. I mean, in many ways, that song's melodic arrangement and the soulful delivery eclipse Bohemian Rhapsody, almost creating a more memorable and magical appeal because of it. Seriously, there is something about somebody to love. And that's the magic of Mercury. For you. Freddie's delicate moving piano on You Take My Breath Away, <gasps> alongside his stunningly perfect multi tracked vocals, are enough entirely on their own to give this album to him. I love You Take My Breath Away. It is my favorite ballad from him. That song is the definition of torn, tattered, desperate, and longing. It's heartbreak made tangible. The emotion given to us from Freddie is immeasurable. I love You Take My Breath Away. Everything about it is so genuine and raw and real and deep. It's overwhelmingly beautiful, You Take My Breath Away. But contrasted with that song's sadness and loss are other numbers from Freddie, his jovial numbers. Good old-fashioned lover boy. And the Millionaire Waltz, playful, clever, perfectly Freddy. I can't think of two better examples of his charm, panache, and drama. And given that we never hear another vaudeville-inspired number again from him, that makes these songs all the more rare and special, and certainly worth celebrating as Mercury masterpieces. I mean, a lot of people say good old-fashioned lover boy is their favorite queen song, It's one of those sneak attack songs, as I call it. It is on at least one greatest hits album that I'm aware of, if not two. It's probably on others like Deep Tracks, etc. But honestly, good old-fashioned Loverboy is one of those that when people hear it, they kind of go, oh, this is kind of cheesy. Yeah, but oh my gosh, it's so good. What did I say? Someone wrote, it's so quote unquote badass. (laughs) Good old-fashioned Loverboy. Amazing. Absolutely stellar, these songs, these playful numbers from Freddie. Such a dynamic performance and the creativity from this man. And even on songs Freddie didn't write, White Man, Tie Your Mother Down, those are both Brian's numbers. His vocal performance is a force to be reckoned with. Gritty, sharp, enough to cut like a knife and daring. 
so different from his soft, subtle, incredibly intimate performances, like the one from You Take My Breath Away. So different. And from his earliest numbers, the ones filled with enthusiasm and promise, Freddie has matured, refined his performance, gives us confidently campy, fully realized rock and roll flair, dynamic and daring. Of course, his indulgences still leave us wanting more. That's how good he is. He can go just that much over the top to tip it and you still want to come running back into it with open arms because you just can't get enough. Freddie has come such a long way from Seven Seas of Rye and Great King Rat, which were so amazing in their own right. I cannot listen to those early numbers of his without being completely floored and wowed at the complexity, the movements in those songs, the appeal, the earworm quality, especially with Seven Seas of Rye. That is still one of my favorite songs of his. And I've heard everything. And that is still one of my favorites. So I love Freddie Mercury on a day at the races. He is easily the standout for me on the album. But of course, there's a little spin here because here's the thing. In my previous episode, I think I mentioned to you guys that my choice for Freddie was a little bit shaken because I was going through especially side two of the album and something happened. (laughs) I'm listening to the songs. I was even thinking about the earlier numbers on the album, and I thought, you know, there is a man here, there's another man here who, honestly, I keep going to his playing, and it's just impressing me all the time, consistently. And that is Mr. John Deacon. Oh, Disco Deaky. I gotta give him props for his ridiculously melodic bass lines throughout this album. I mean... The Millionaire Waltz, Long Away, Teo Toriate, Let Us Cling Together, and of course his contribution, You and I, which may be better than his hit, You're My Best Friend. I've been consistently impressed with his work on races. The beginning of The Millionaire Waltz and his lead bass is this lithe little addicting riff, addicting arrangement that I've seen so many people play it because it's just that fun. It's that good. It's that impressive. It's memorable. You know, it's right up there with some of Brian's super singable guitar lines. It really is. There are moments in John's bass playing where I hum them and sing them. And they're very difficult to do that way because they're very fast. You know, I, I try to sing his his bass lines from the beginning of The Millionaire Waltz, and it's just a big old bumbled up mess because it's so fast. But he's up and down those arpeggios, those scales, so perfectly, and he knows where to put the strength. He knows where to emphasize a note. He knows when to hold it, when to make it staccato. There's this innate ability, and all the guys are like this, yes. But John's skill on his bass is I don't say it enough. I don't say it enough. Bassists don't get the credit they deserve. They don't, by and large. They're very much overlooked in a band, in an orchestra, wherever they're overlooked. 
But John is just so fantastic here. I think more than opera, and really more than almost any other album before it, he's just so consistent on this album. Part of that is the mixing, the production here, which the guys did themselves. I think the bass pops out incredibly well. He's settled in, in his groove, quietly going above and beyond with every song. And thankfully, because the bass lines are so melodic, his brilliant performance is more at the forefront. We get to hear it more. It stands out more. But there are moments where, yeah, he blends in with the beat, the guitars. It's very power chord heavy, like in White Man. So his bass is still a very big support system, but it doesn't stand out as much, but that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what I mean when I say John has this incredible ability to just find his place and be there without question. And it's great. So yeah, Freddie takes the cake, but John gets a little of the frosting, <laughs> I guess. That is my, that's my call for a day at the races. And that means I am officially done with the album. And I got to dive into the next one. I'm really excited because it's going to be a massive shift. I've already started doing my reading, my research. And yes, I already know a lot about it already. I just like to refresh my brain. And there's always something new that I didn't know. When I come across it, I'm like, wow, light bulb moment. And I've had a few of those already. And really, we're at the end of an era here. We're going to change going into the next album in a lot of ways. The approach is different. The sound is different. I think the general attitude of the band is different. I talked about this a little bit in a previous episode where, you know, the guys have had a lot of fan fangirling, fan base happening, a lot of superstardom going on at this point. And there is a tipping point where I think your, your attitude, your demeanor as a band, as a band member, just as a band member, sorry, just shifts almost subconsciously because you realize you're making waves and you realize you have fans. I mean, how could that not affect anyone? You know, it, it, it would be hard to, to suddenly have a following. I think you would either feel really overwhelmed, and maybe you always feel overwhelmed, and maybe you'd have that feeling of, wow, I'm so cool. You know, it, it, how, would you, how would you hold on to, you know, humility? Um, it would be a challenge. So I think... Yeah, we're going to see a shift here, not just in style, but in attitude and the way the songs are written. There's going to be some more daring stuff happening. We're leaving behind the more, I don't want to say the more melodic, because there's certainly some catchy things coming. But we're leaving behind the lush arrangements, especially of the last two albums, Opera and Races. And we're getting into things that are a little bit more edgy in some ways. And I think a little bit more yes sparse in their arrangement, incredibly minimal. And there's a very good reason for that. We'll get, we'll get into all that mess in the next episode for my Queen Deep Dives kicking it off. I'll probably do another episode of something totally unrelated to Queen. It's been a while. I need to do something different. But today it was closeout races day. I'm shutting the door. I want to cry a little bit because again, I love this album. 
It's got a special place in my heart. It's one of the first ones I wanted to buy when I started collecting their albums. And oddly enough, it was one of the last ones I found, I think. I think. Hot Space was actually the last one I found on the rack when I was going out to the stores to find them in person. And Hot Space was hard to get. And if I had to guess, it's because Hot Space was a lot less popular in the States. And there were probably a lot less copies going around, so I snagged one. (laughs) Anyway, enough about future albums we have yet to discuss. That is for next time. In the meantime, keep yourselves alive. Stay well, stay happy. I've had a lot of health stuff going on. You guys, it's kind of ridiculous. I have three things next week. (sighs) Why? (laughs) That's why I take breathers with these podcast episodes because I got to distract myself. Okay, guys. I'll be back on next time. Have a good one.